Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning to celebrate with us, to exalt Christ, to lift him high. And this morning, 10 years ago, on September 14, 2008, we planted the church, which is known as the Oaks Community Church. So 10 years ago, we were here. And so it's been a good 10 years. I want to encourage you this morning and just shed a little light as we've moved through these past 10 years as God has led us to plant this local expression of the church. Uh, We were growing and thriving spiritually. Three years within that, there was a shift in leadership. There were some unexpected things that arised and there were some changes. But we understood as the church, as the leaders, that God is the one that builds the church. He's the one that closes the doors. And so we've trusted in him faithfully. And a year later from that, God sent a brother in the Lord. And our hearts were merged with the same vision. And Casey and I formed a team. And we led a team to relaunch what you know now as the Oaks Church. So five years ago, we relaunched. And today we're called the Oaks Church. And so we joke a little bit. We talk about we're a 10-5 church, 10-year anniversary, a 5-year anniversary. We don't know. It's somewhere in the middle. But we've been here 10 years, and we relaunched five years ago as the Oaks Church. And since then, God has been faithful. He's been faithful to us as a faith family through many things, through the flood, through many families. And we just want to say thank you. We love serving with you. Thank you for the ones that have been here from the 10 years, the few Thank you for the ones that have been here from the five years forward, six years. Thank you for you who are here today, who are joining us as guests. We love you. We want the gospel to be a part of your everyday life. We want your story of grace to be reflected in this community. And we want you to shine forth so that God gets all the glory. And so we're thankful this morning for you. And so I tell you this, I tell you this story in light of The message today, if you want to turn to Daniel chapter 4, we'll get there in just a minute. But I tell you this because I think it really illuminates the message that God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all men, over all situations, over all kingdoms. And we'll see this truth. And the truth is, is that trusting the sovereignty, the sovereign will of God isn't an easy path. But it's the only path. It's the only path. When things were tough and we didn't know how to pay the bills, we pressed on. We pursued forward because we knew that God's will was for this local expression to be a light in this community. And we pressed on. We pressed on and we trusted in him. And so today, as we look at the main point, it says this, despite circumstances, we must trust that God is sovereign over all kingdoms and gives them to whom he wills. This is our main thought. This is the overarching theme of Daniel chapter 4. And really, Daniel, from chapter 1 to chapter 4, we see this is the story, the narrative of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so, in chapter 4, there is a sub-theme. It's humility. I don't want to overlook it. I don't want to take it light. But I want you to understand that the main thing is that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, God uses humility to magnify the sovereignty of God. He uses that. And so just to be clear, just to be clear with you guys, because there's a lot of people out there that teach Daniel 4 and really just hammer in on humility and pride, and that's a part of it. It's a part of it. 
but God is sovereign. The main point of this narrative is that God is sovereign over his people. So I want you to understand that. Just like the book of Jonah, if you did not know, it's not about the whale. It's not about the whale. I'm sorry. I know there's cool t-shirts and bumper stickers and all that stuff with the whale on it. And that's cool. The whale's a part of the story. It's a character, a small part. But it's not the point. And even Jonah, Jonah himself is not the main point. It's not his life. It's not his testimony. It's that God is the hero. In Jonah, God is our hero. He's the one that rescued because we know about Jonah. Jonah fleed. He fleed from the presence of the Lord. He did all that he could to flee from the presence of the Lord because he knew that he didn't want to go in the direction the Lord was leading him, and yet the Lord led him there anyway because God is our hero. He is our rescuer. In Jonah, in chapter 2, he says this. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord's, and he is in control. He is sovereign. His will will be forward. It will be for not our own. As much as we try to, God's will will be pushed to the forefront. And so just like King Nebuchadnezzar, just like here in Daniel, it's not about King Nebuchadnezzar being humbled, but it's about the most high God being exalted, being sovereign over his people. How do I know this? Think about the context. All right, We're looking at the Jewish people who have been overtaken by King Nebuchadnezzar, who are in exile, who have been beaten, tortured. Some of them been killed. You think they wrestled with pride? Do you think they wrestled with pride? I don't think so. I don't think so. And so what Daniel, what, what Daniel is doing is recording a first-hand account of Nebuchadnezzar, his testimony, to encourage the believers, the Jews, God's people... That he's still in control. And so he wants to encourage. And there's a warning in there, and we'll get to it. And there's a warning, and we're not going to overlook it, but we'll get to it. So we know this because they were struggling with trusting in God. They were struggling. Our title of, of our overall series is that having this daring faith in the midst of a dark place. This is what they were experiencing, the, Jews, the Jewish people. And so we have to understand that. That they're not really wrestling with pride at this point of history. And so verse 17 is our key verse. You look there and then we'll work our way back through. Verse 17 says this. Sentences by the decree of the watchers and decisions by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is our key verse. As we look to Daniel 4. And so Daniel 4 is the final story about King Nebuchadnezzar. He's really arrived at the height of his uh, power and of his kingdom. But first we meet him in Daniel chapter 1. I want to give you a brief overview real quick. We'll work through it and then we'll walk through chapter 4. But in, in Daniel 1, when they besieged, when King Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem... He took from them the gold and silver vessels from the house of God and he placed these items... Uh, in his possession. He captured young men and he re-educated them. He retrained them to be his people. He brainwashed them. But Daniel and his three friends in the midst of this refused to eat of his food and refused to be a part of what he was trying to do. And because of their faithfulness, God blessed them. God blessed them and gave them wisdom. 
And therefore the king accepted them and, and took them into his palace and stationed them in places of high authority. And so then in Daniel chapter 2, we read that Nebuchadnezzar had a strange dream. That a huge statue, and it says this, a head of gold, chest of armor of silver, middle and thighs of bronze, legs of iron and feet of iron and clay. And then it says a stone was cut out and struck the statue and on his feet of iron and clay annihilated. The statue fell and it said this stone, this stone became a great mountain and filled the earth. And then when the wise men could not tell him his dream, the king threatened to kill them and butcher them, torture them. But God revealed the mystery to Daniel. And God interpreted this. God had a great, God had given King Nebuchadnezzar a great kingdom. But it was the head of gold. And we know that it would be destroyed. And along the way, God also gave others kingdoms. He gave Medo-Persia, and then he gave it to the Greeks, and he finally gave it to the Romans, to the Romans. But in the end, God would replace all these kingdoms. He would replace all of them with his kingdom. And it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 40, it says, it says, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. God's kingdom will not be destroyed. But all these earthly ones will be. And then in Daniel 3, we read about the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he wanted to be more than just the head of gold. He thought, well, shoot, I'll just build a statue and cover the whole thing in gold. It can't be destroyed. So we see this pride again rising up in King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he made a statue and he says this to the people. He says, all peoples and nations and languages will fall down and worship this idol. And if they do not, they will be killed. And all fell down except Daniel and his three friends. And we know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king gave them another chance. See, a Chaldean told on them and said, look, they're not falling down. They're not worshiping your God. And so they brought Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the king. And the king says, gives them one more chance. says, look, bow down, worship me, or you'll be thrown into the fire. And we know the story is that they didn't. They were thrown into the fire, but yet God saved them. There was a fourth person in the fire, and he saved them. Saved them to the point where they didn't even smell like fire. And so God saved his people. And then we come to the events of Daniel chapter 4, which take place about 25 years later. And so remember now, we're at the peak of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. We're at the peak. He's just come back from battle where he's, where he's annihilated, really, Egypt, uh, Israel, and many other nations. And what he did is he took their gold and he came back home and he built temples. They say there was around 50 temples that as he took their gold and their jewels, he built these so that he could look over them and be proud proud of what he has done, what he has accomplished. And so it seemed like at this time in history that there was peace in the kingdom of Babylon. And so he sits back and he's resting and we pick up in chapter four with the king's testimony. In verse one, it says this, read with me. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and language that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show that the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And so immediately we see the proud and arrogancy of the king, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, as he opens his testimony to the world, 
He says, look at what the most high God has done for me. Look what he has done for me. My kingdom reigns from the Persian Gulf in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west to the south of Egypt up to the north of Iran. Look how great my kingdom is. Look what I have built. Look what the Lord has done for me. It is good. And then verse 4, which is our first point, says God's sovereignty displays himself as greater king. God's sovereignty displays himself as greater king. Verse 4 says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my place. And so the king here, he was content, right? We see that he's content, he's at ease, things were good. And he says in verse 5, I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I laid in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. This was the king's second dream. Now, remember in chapter 2, he had a dream earlier. Now we see the second dream, one which alarmed him. It terrified him. In verse 6, it says, So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dreams. So the magicians and the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Now make note here, he says, I told them the dream. Back in chapter 2, we know that he didn't tell them the dream because he was afraid that they would misinterpret or that they would just make something up if he told them the dream. He said, I want you to tell me the dream and then interpret the dream. And they're like, this is impossible. And so right here, he tells them the dream. I think he tells them the dream because, too, I think he's he's afraid, first of all, because it says he's terrified. But I think he's afraid because he kind of knows the answer. He kind of knows the answer. Just like we sometimes. When God gives us a clear word from from his word, gives us clear vision from the word of God, sometimes we're a little afraid and we want to seek other counsel. And so right here, he says, I told them the dream, but they could not make known. And so these are the most respected and wise men of all the world are here. And they're telling him this dream, but they could not understand it. They could not interpret it. And then in verse 8, it says this, at last came in before me, Daniel came in before me, and he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation." And so I love this. I love that right here the king recognizes right here that there's something greater about David. There's something in David that's greater. And right there in verse 9 it says that the spirit of the holy gods, this word here is Yahweh. It's plural. It says Yahweh is with him. The spirit of God is with him. And so even when all the wisest men of Babylon could not interpret it, Daniel was able because the Spirit of God was in him. Look at verse 10. It says, The vision of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its tops reaches the heavens, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruits abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the fields found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. And so far it sounds great. So far it's like, what are you afraid of, king, right? And then verse 13 says, I saw a vision in my head 
And I laid in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and loft off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with the band of iron and bronze, aimed the tender grass of the fields. Let them be wet with the dew of the heavens, and let the portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let the beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, and the decisions by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he wills, and sets it over the lowliest. This dream I, King of Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, Tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able for the spirit of God, for Yahweh, the holy God, is in you. So once again, through a dream, God is trying to reveal to Nebuchadnezzar that though he seems like he's in control, he is not. He is not. Though he seems like all is at his footstool, That he is king over the known world and that life is good and the kingdom's at peace and at rest. God is still in control. Verse 17, it says, the most high that they may know, that they may know. See, God's trying to reveal to him now in this early part that God is in control. And he wants him to confess that and believe that. Remember what Jesus said to Pilate in John 19, verse 10. It says, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And then in verse 11, he says, Jesus answered and said, you would have no authority over me at least unless it has been given to you from above. God is in control. God puts leaders in the positions that he wants them to be in for the length of time that he wants them to be in. God is in control, church. When it seems like this world is in chaos, God is in control. Trust that and know that, that he is good. So then we get to the interpretation. Verse 19, our second point is this, God's sovereignty exposes sin and demands righteousness. And so God gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream, and it terrifies him. And he reaches out, and he says, look, would someone interpret this? Even though deep down I think he knows it's coming, he says, will someone interpret this? Kind of confirm it in me. And so he sends Daniel to interpret this dream, and through God's sovereignty, he exposes Nebuchadnezzar's sin, and he demands his righteousness. In verse 19, it says, it says, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. His thoughts alarmed him. And so could you imagine in this moment when he's hearing the dream and he's knowing it, he's hearing this from the king, and he's like, I got I to gotta tell this to this guy, right? This guy was like killing people across the world. And so for a moment, there's this hesitation to interpret the dream. And he says, and the king answered and said to him, continuing verse 19, he says, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. 
And Belshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that it would top the reaches of heaven and that and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruits abundant, in which the food for all, under, its, uh, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have given, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached through the heavens and your dominion at the end of the earth. And so it's like Daniel is kind of building him up, right? He's kind of building him up. He's wanting to soften the blow right here. He's like, look how great, look how great. And really, he even goes to the point, if we look back, that he skips part of the interpretation. He doesn't talk about his mind being changed like, like the beast, like you're going to have a mind of animals, right? He didn't even go into that. He's like, That's, eh, you know, I'm going to skip that. And I'm going to go straight into verse 23. And so he says this. He says, and because the king saw watchers, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with the band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the fields, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let the portion be with the beast of the fields, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree that the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the, uh, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you shall be driven from among and dwell, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the fields, and you shall be made to eat grass like ox, and you shall be wet like the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that, here it is again, a second time, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots in the tree. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you for the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. And so as he hesitated earlier, now he really presses into the king. And I really think that we see when we talk about daring faith, we see it right here. He's about to give the king, the most powerful man in the known world, some advice. Some counsel, right? So he says, therefore, O king, verse 27, therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off from your sins and practice righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lightning of your prosperity. And so God uses Daniel to shine forth the truth to King Nebuchadnezzar, really to confirm in his heart, I think what he already knew. And he says, right here in verse 27, it says, break off from your sin by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. He's saying, show mercy to those who you have captured, those you have drugged from their homes, and those who you have tried to re-educate, retrain, to brainwash, to be your people. He's saying, show mercy to them that perhaps... Perhaps, here's the, here's, the, here's the funny part of the end, that perhaps the being the lengthening of your prosperity, meaning that God's in control, right? And so at some point, we knew the story of, of, of that he would humble the king, but he's saying maybe it'll be lengthening. Maybe he'll give you some more time to think, to think what you've done and to exalt God as most high and not yourself. And so then we see in verse 28, 
Our third point says God's sovereign will humbles the proud. God's sovereign will humbles the proud. And so after all this, after God gives him a word, gives him a dream, uses Daniel to interpret this, look at what he says. He says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And at the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the rooftop of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, it is, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Wow. Twelve months the Lord was gracious. For twelve months the Lord let King Nebuchadnezzar kind of sit in this dream as this was interpreted to him to say exalt God as most high. Lay down your pride and exalt. And yet he stands here on top of his royal palace that they said stood almost 29 stories high where he could look across all of Babylon and in that, the way he positioned it, he could see all 50 temples to which nations he conquered and used their gold and silver to build. He could look across and see all 50 and be proud. Look at what I've done. Look at the kingdom that I've built. And I love God. He's great. Verse 31. I love it. Like right in the middle of this boasting, right? Right in the middle of, look what I've done. Look at this great kingdom that I've built. Verse 31 says, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the fields, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. And I love this part here. If if, If you've heard it a couple of times, it's been repeated. It says seven periods of time. What that means is complete. So there's no number. There's no number to how long. It's not like here we're going to send you out for 30 years and you're going to figure it out and you're going to come back. It says however long, till completion, till you completely understand that God is king. That's how long. That's how long. If it's one year, 10 years, 100 years, it does not matter. And so he says, you will be sent to eat like the oxen and to dwell among the beasts of the fields until you understand Until you understand that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and not you. God will humble you. God will humble you so that his glory may be known. And so verse 33, it says, Immediately the word was filled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among the men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. takes a long time your hair don't grow overnight that long and your nails but it doesn't matter how long God will humble the proud he will humble you and he will lead you to places that allows you to understand that he is king no matter what it takes his will will be pushed to the forefront of everything and so God is sovereign he is humble he will humble the proud And then we finish up our last point. It says, God's sovereign will is always just. This is the hard one. This is the hard one for us today. 
So verse 34 says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lift my eyes to heaven. And I, I note this right here. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't say, I, King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lift my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. So his mind was restored and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Church's ways are just. We don't always understand. And so in the midst of our circumstances, when we don't understand, we need to trust that God is sovereign and that he is in control. And that whatever he allows to happen, whoever he allows in leadership, whatever he allows is just. That there is a plan that there is an outcome that is greater than our circumstances. And we have to trust that, church. We have to trust in that. And so I want you to understand this. I don't want you to miss it. That our God is great and mighty and sovereign over all kingdoms. And he gives it to whom he wills. See, the story of Nebuchadnezzar didn't span four chapters. It's been there for all eternity. God had a plan. It didn't sneak up on him that all of a sudden this king would come and reign over all the earth and torture people and steal from people and kill from people. It didn't sneak up on him. God is in control and he knew it. And so what an encouraging message to the Jews. What an encouraging message that Daniel writes the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar, the one who was torturing them and shows them That God is in control, that he humbled the king. And that King Nebuchadnezzar is not the one in control. He's not the one that reigns over you. But God himself, that his sovereign will will be that which is displayed in the end. And so it's an encouraging message to those who were suffering in Babylon to have this firsthand account. So when it seemed like the great and mighty king was great, our God is greater. Our God is greater. And just when it looked like the Roman Empire won and the Son of God was killed, when the disciples felt disowned and left behind, Jesus laid down his life. He laid down his life. And on the third day, he rose again. And he defeated death for all eternity. And that we have life and victory founded in Christ. Just when it looked like they won. God wins. God is in control. 
God wants what's best for his people, for those who love and trust in him. Just when the Roman Empire thought they won, they did not. Church, I want to encourage you today, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever circumstance you're in right now or will be in, because trust me, you will be in a circumstance. As a follower of Christ, you will experience suffering. You will experience pain in this life. God is in control of it. I want to encourage you that. But I also want to warn you. I want to warn you. When you think you have it under control, when you think that things are good and you think that you're sustaining, you're making all the right decisions, God will humble you. He will humble the proud. And so there's a message of encouragement, church. There's a message that says God is in control. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. But we need to be warned. We need to understand that we've got to continue to seek God. God's will in our life and not our own. Because it can easily, we can easily well up pride within us. And that pride will destroy us. And so I trust that God has put you in a place where you can lean into him. He's put people around you whether it's a faith family or believers that can, that can love you and encourage you when things are going good and when things are tough. Just like we see here with Daniel. Daniel writes this letter because he loves the people of God. He records this testimony so he can share this encouragement. He can share this warning to his people. That our God is great. He is mighty. He is the most high. And he is still in control. And so trust that God is in control and humble yourself under the greater King, Jesus. Let me pray. Father, uh, you are so good. Even at times in my own life when I can't understand, I can't see past my circumstances. God, give me a faith that trusts in you and in your plan and in your will, that you are just, no matter what happens, through sickness, through death, through financial struggles, Father, whatever it may be, you are good. Father, take these circumstances and use them in our lives to point us back to Christ. God, that our faith may be a faith that is so daring that this community does not see what I have, what I've done, what kingdom I've built, but they see that your kingdom is being built in your people every day. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son that gives us life. Father, move in our hearts. Break down our pride. And show us that you are sovereign, you are mighty, you are in control. God, take our brokenness aside and make it beautiful. It's in your name we pray.